Hi, welcome to Two Towns Over. This show was made possible by our patrons, so if you would like to support us, we're at patreon.com slash twotownsover. Um, if you can't afford monetary donations, we are also at facebook.com slash ttopod, uh, and if you would share us around and give us five-star ratings on whatever podcast you're into, we would greatly appreciate it. Uh, thanks for listening. Enjoy the show. If living in the 80s taught me anything, if it's bad, it must be Satan. We don't like your theocracy, we're going to make our own. Yeah. Right now. Yeah. Oh shit. So anyway, as I finally slipped inside of Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh yeah. God, that was that must have been a a great night. <laughs> if if I had jokes, to pick, I have no context. One yes. word to describe the whole situation, it would be moist and girthy. Wait a minute. You slipped inside him first, and girthy comes to mind. Uh huh. So you're girthy. Uh, so is he. How would you know if you're inside him? Foreplay. Is it Titanic? No, no, no. I fucked the Leonardo sex? DiCaprio. Yeah, yeah. The sex, yeah, the is, sex Titanic. is Titanic. Yeah. <laughs> his cock, yes, is yeah. Titanic. You can't wait to watch him sink his Titanic. <laughs> it broke in half and sank into the water. <laughs> Hi, everybody. <laughs> Welcome he to is, he I don't know fucking shit about Leonardo DiCaprio. God damn it. It but just occurred to me that my mom will listen to this episode. He, he might <laughs> so <am I. laughs> Oh great. Yeah, but your mom will oh. laugh when I say it. My mom will be sad. <laughs> I mean, you know, live your life. I'm gonna have to tell her to skip through the first thirty seconds or so. Oh man, I don't know shit about Leonardo DiCaprio, but if he sues us, I'm pointing him at you, dude. I'm not taking that hit. <laughs> well, we it's you said you're 25, 26 now. Well, so you're not I old enough for old. him now. Yeah. No, I'm too so, old for Leo yeah, now. Unfortunately, but oh well. What Leonardo DiCaprio, a man in his what 40s, is yeah. still yeah. only dating women until they're 25? Yeah, yep. it's bad. Wow, I can't believe that. It's bad, but he is hot though. The, I I don't really care how hot he is. Oh, me either. He, he's no Ryan Reynolds. No, it's I could never hope to be with Ryan Reynolds. No, 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 no. Listen. The closest I'm going to get is Sharknado 3's Will Wiley, I think. Yeah. Who does bear a striking resemblance? A bit, him? yeah. Yeah. He and does. has about the same personality. Uh-huh. Let me tell you something. Ryan Reynolds is the type of guy who... If you have a strong enough personality, you have a chance. No, 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 no. Because Ryan Reynolds will never do that to his wife. Oh, this is true. Well, see, but here's the thing. What's his wife's name again? Blake Lively. Thank you. Blake Lively. Balake Lively. Balake Lively. Lively. <laughs> Balake Lively. Um, Blake Lively. So all you got to do th- at that point 
is just like be cute enough to get Blake Lively to be on board with oh, all true. three of you. So I and need you to got go that. through her. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. You have to be. You have to become friends, and then like maybe there's some feelings, like some sparks. You know what I'm saying? Get into the. And so she. So she's like she backs away a little bit. Like we can't. I'm sorry. I have a husband, and it's Ryan Reynolds, the coolest guy. And you're like, no, I get it. I'm sorry. And you do a dramatic, like a head, like a head turn thing. He's the one that I've actually been after the entire time. Right. She doesn't even know. And then, like three weeks later, you text her, like, I'm sorry, but I miss you. What What can we do here? Like, you know, if it's for you, I'm willing to sleep with Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> See, no, but that's too, it's too underhanded. And if I'm going to be with Ryan Reynolds, the emotions have to be pure. Well, that's what I'm saying is like you spend that first little bit where you think like this is the part where you thought that you were just in it for the Ryan Reynolds. But secretly in your heart of hearts, Blake Lively's pretty fucking cool. And, you know, maybe there's something there, you know, <laughs> So I love the fact that we're in our second week. Anyway, hire us, please, uh, Ryan Reynolds, to write your (laughs) movies. All of them. Thank you. We're in our second week of Satanic Panic. Welcome, everybody, to Satanic Sunday. Um, But then it turns out at the end, Ryan Reynolds was into you the whole time. (laughs) And we have literally, the second week in the row, just gone down the Aleister Crowley debauchery road. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we got to maintain it until we get Will here for the Crowley episodes. Oh, God. I can't wait to read his poetry out loud. Oh, I, Will is going to fucking love that oh, shit, too. God, yes. There is a poem. I'm not going to give you anything else but the title. I think it's the title because it repeats it. It's called When Celia Comes. <laughs> I think I've read that poem. See, I am neurodivergent and... <laughs> I got really into poetry whoa, 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 for a whoa. while. What'd you say? You're what? I'm neurodivergent. It sounded like you said neurodivergent. 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 Okay. I'm neurodivergent. You're not going to fucking correct him? No. Fuck you. <laughs> you get to pass. I mean, I didn't really notice it. Anyway. <laughs> it's not cement. Again, Southern erasure. I thought you were better than that. I am Southern. Anyway. <laughs> Fuck, what was I talking about? Uh, you were neurodivergent. Neurodivergent. That before that, during uh, that. We were talking about uh, Alistair Crowley's poetry and when Celia comes. Oh, right. I got really into poetry for a while, and so now I sometimes write poems in my head, but never on paper. Just fine. I enjoy it. But, like, I think that was one of the ones that was used in an example of a YouTube video or three that I watched. Uh. Right. About just like well, you fell down some dark rabbit hole, so you definitely encountered Crowley. It's like, yeah, it's like, like you start falling down the path of like, what is poetry, right? Because you're like, man, I, fucking high school didn't teach me shit about poems. What, what are po? Because you start watching like beat poets, right? And you're right. like, what the fuck is poetry even? <laughs> How is it not music? You know? And then you're like, well, it kind of is, but like, it's different somehow. And so you're like, okay, cool. So let me look at what even is poetry. And it turns out that the shortest poem is um, one symbol long, and it doesn't mean anything. So you're like, that's, okay. That's like contemporary art at that yeah. point. Right. Right. So from there, you're like, so what can I do with words? And so you start writing a little bit, finally, because you're like, man, if, if it doesn't matter that much, fuck it. I'll write some poems. And... 
Then you start looking into like how to compose certain types of poems. And then the YouTube algorithm takes control of your life for a little while. Uh-huh. And so uh, you eventually get to places where people are like, so anyway, there's this poem about this woman coming. And you're like, huh, wow, that's fucking wild. And you're like, okay, so poems are literally anything. And then you turn YouTube off for three days. Yeah. <laughs> so, we still have not introduced no, ourselves. No. <laughs> there is no way our, our, our one hater is going to come back and listen to us now. <laughs> she, subscri- she fucking followed us. She followed us, but she hates us. That's hey Don, our first ever uh, hater. If she wants to listen to podcasts where people pick subject matter, stick to it, and don't go off on weird diatribes about weird, loosely related things, then she can listen to any other podcast in the world. I'm gonna tell you right now. I do want a fairly significant portion of our audience to be people who are hate listening to us. <laughs> That's fine because occasionally. We do say some heartfelt shit that hopefully connects with some of them. Right. And maybe, just maybe, one of those people, one of them, will cease being a dick. (laughs) And then they can put the bag of dicks that they've been eating their whole life down on, on the ground and forget about it entirely. One person. One. Lifetime of the podcast. I'm just... Hopeful, you know. So we're in our second week. Um, we I, are. Am, I am Don. I'm not him. I'm the guy who wrote today's script. Yes. And we have a guest again. Um, you heard him in our midweek. We have Brandon. Say hello. Hello. And that's all you're going to hear from like him. We're not I don't know. Recording. How do I go into this? Just say hi. Say the things you would normally say. Yeah. It's natural conversation. Yeah. We spend, I, I read and we have conversations around what I'm reading. Just go with that. All right, so what are we talking about today? Today. Hey, what a segue. There you go. Look at him go. He's a natural. He's a segue. Call him fucking Pink Floyd with that segue. Mm. <clears throat> uh, I'm going to call him Paul, Paul Blart. Blart. Fuck yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was Perfect. thinking a different segue. What else? Okay. So today we start part one. Uh, well, no, we we are doing part one of the Salem Witch Trials. Yeah. Guys, this is a such... I said, I want to write the script for Salem Witch Trials. And then I discovered that this is maybe the most I have overestimated myself ever. <laughs> because holy fucking shit, it is so dense. There is so much context that has to be gotten through. Like, I'm going to fucking throw a fair warning up right at the start here. We are barely going to get to any of the trials today. Like, in the entire first part. Because I want to be able to spend so much time on them next episode. I was hoping that was we, the case. Yeah, it's, we, have to, we have to learn, we have to have a bit of a history lesson today very interesting history um that's i i skip over the boring parts but there is just so fucking much to this and how it plays into the overarching narrative of the satanic panic as a whole like it's it's crazy it's so much more than i thought it was and i think everyone will see that over the course of this 
two-part episode of this Satanic Panic series. I don't even know how long the hypnotic one's going to be. Because oh, yeah. I've said that I'm going to do already two pieces of it. Yeah. As different subjects. So that's going to be that's going to be pretty weird. Yeah, every week this 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 series gets longer and longer. Because I was thinking we could do one week of Crowley and one week of LeVay. Sure. But but then it's going to be two weeks of Crowley. It's probably going to be two weeks of Crowley, quite possibly two weeks of LeVay. It might take us all year. It could. Uh, it's quite sincere. Like, that's not even an exaggeration. This Satanic Panic series very well may take us into 2024. Like, that's not an exaggeration in the slightest because there is so fucking much information mm -hmm. in this. And I don't know how. And if you think that's crazy, that's less than 52 episodes, right? Because we will absolutely be taking weeks off occasionally for important things that right. we can't predict. Yeah. It will, you know, over the course of a year, you got to throw a couple days in there that we're not going to be able to get you an episode. So, like, let's call it 48 episodes, 49 episodes or something. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> even thinking about it that way. It might take longer than that. But I doubt that we'll do, we're not going to do no two years of this because we'll get no, 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 no. So, well, luckily, the way we're doing it, yeah, we're doing Satanic Panic, but we're we're doing it like it's just basically any other episode. I mean, we just the stories that we're talking about are related to a one particular urban legend, but we're <clears throat> we're doing one particular urban legend. It takes but every a community. Week it's a different. <laughs> It's still a different story and a different deep dive and a different every week. So it's right. still the, the the concept of the show hasn't changed. We're no. just focusing on one urban legend and we're going to get started now. Yes. Well, so actually, before we do, I want to dispel a few of the popular myths about the Salem witch trials right up top. So a basic one, it's everybody assumes when they hear uh, witch trials, they immediately assume that it's all women. Right. But witch was not a gendered term. Right. Anybody could have been a witch, man or woman. You're working in Giles Corey for Brandon, aren't you? <gasps> well, yeah. Uh, that's, that's one of the most interesting executions in the entire trials. <laughs> yes. That's one of the most the interesting executions in history. Yeah. How many right. times can you hear you say... A man got squished to death. Like, that's not common. Yeah. Crushed is different than squished. <laughs> like, but also, uh, I believe didn't they? Giles Corey was not the only man executed during the witch trials. I know. It's. It was also a lot of people think that it was probably only uh, poor or lower class women who were accused of being witches. That's also not true. Women of just about every class level were tried in the witch trials. Not all of them were executed, but all of them were tried and convicted as witches. Um, another one of my favorite. Did, doesn't it work out to if they can if they accuse you of being a witch? It's like stupid high percent that that you, they're gonna find that you're a witch. Yeah, and then the money. 
if you're rich enough, you so can basically avoid dying. It's, we're we're going to get into it more in episode two, but <clears throat> what it really ends up working out to is if you are accused of a witch and it actually goes to trial, you will be convicted as a witch pretty much no matter what. Mm-hmm. But most of them, if they confessed to being witches, they would only be imprisoned and not executed. But if they went to trial and still maintained their innocence, they were almost always executed. Mm-hmm. So it was about uh, asking forgiveness from the Lord, basically. That's what ended up happening with Giles Corey is he was essentially (coughs) protesting the whole thing by refusing. And they wanted to literally try and squeeze a confession out of him. Mm. And man said more weight. As he should. Right. It's, what a he was also badass. a fucking asshole. <laughs> like he was so that far into him. for being a horrific, like bad neighbor is his reputation. He was such a douchebag. Nobody fucking liked him. Um but that's 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 for later. Um Listen, I'll be honest, that's a patron saint for me. <laughs> I, I wanna be a grumpy ass get out of my yard old man. Um Another thing was... Uh, but also, if you come to get your ball out of my yard, I'll give you like a secret third one that's just like, <laughs> you can have more of them because I want to give gifts. <laughs> Another really common, and I love this theory, I really do, because I always love theories about things like this that basically amount to it was drugs. drugs. Ev- everyone was actually on acid. So there's a theory that uh, the town's like communal wheat that everybody ate from. I've heard water supply also. Or in the water supply had become contaminated with ergot, which is a uh, a type of mold that effectively is what LSD is derived from. So there is a theory that was once very popular, but is now very, very dispelled. It's not true at all that effectively everybody in... Salem Village was under the influence of LSD. Was high and as that's fuck. why they were having hallucinations and fits. But if that were true, then it would have affected literally everybody in town, which it did not. Um, it would not have come on so suddenly, and many of them would have died or had long lasting effects mm-hmm. after as a result of the ergot poisoning. Mm-hmm. But that didn't happen whatsoever. Um, yeah, it was kind of just a case of mass hysteria. It it was mass hysteria largely, but there's we're going to get into the context of what primed them for that mass hysteria in yeah, I don't this spoil episode. Um, I'll spoil it myself later. <laughs> He's probably giving us the entire script right now, Josh. Yeah, yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm actually just giving you the entire oh. script from memory. No, I'm dispelling things that I didn't have room for. In the script right now. Um, There's also people tend to think of it as the entire town had gone mad and believed that all of these women were witches. But there were even high ranking uh, legal officials, government officials who were outspoken against this as it was happening. And we're not going to get too much into them because it's their protest against what was happening is their protest against what was happening is actually not as interesting as you know, getting into the trials and everything themselves because we're, we're here for the hysteria and the chaos. Right. But uh, there were people who were outspoken against this throughout the entire process of the trials. There are almost always people 
in history everywhere. Yes. That are outspoken, vocal opponents of whatever terrible shit is happening or of whatever good shit is happening. Right. <clears throat> People want to shout. Yep. All right. It's going to sound weird. As you know, last week we discussed the Satanic Panic's <laughs> European origins and modern representation. But today we're we're about to talk ugh, we're about to get to the real meat of the subject as we dive into the most well-known instance of Satanic Panic as well as its arrival on American soil, the Salem Witch Trials. But before we can jump into that part, uh, where we start executing men and mostly women for witchcraft, let's look back a bit and discuss some of the events that would set the stage for what Salem, Massachusetts would become known for. It's kind of reads like a high school essay. Another quick myth. I I just wanted to say that Josh has a writing style that's kind of like... If a person in high school writing an essay could say what the fuck they actually they wanted actually to say. Meant, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, because later we get into some like raw information. But uh, you know me, I also tend to be kind of opinionated mm-hmm. in my scripts. So um, it's a good opinion essay. Right. Yeah, exactly. But uh, one other myth I want to dispel before we oh. keep diving all the way into like the history and the context is... A lot of people assume that uh, witches during the Salem witch trials were burned at the stake. That was a European thing. Uh, Europeans were big on burning at the stake. Right. Um, But in Salem, most of them hung. Right. um, Which we'll see later. But there were a couple of more creative methods peppered in there. All right, so perhaps most importantly, in 1627, English Puritan clergyman Richard Bernard would publish two books titled A Guide to Grand Jurymen. While a modern person may hear this title and expect a lot of long-winded and difficult-to-follow explanations about laws and their enforcements, remember... What? Brandon got a shiny in Pokemon Go. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, I have been trying to catch one for so fucking long. <laughs> months! I've been waiting months! Thank you, thank you. I'm sorry, this is just like a big moment for me. Yeah. No, I well, get it. We were two sentences deeper, so we had to stop. <laughs> don't act like you're not used to it. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking, adding a third person to distract. Actually, a fourth person today. Yeah, I only have knowledge on one subject from the Salem I Witch know. Trials. And that's because I listened to an album about a dude who wants to kill himself. It's... Well. So while a modern person may hear this title and expect a lot of long-winded and difficult-to-follow explanations about law and their enforcement, remember that we're talking about 1627 here. This guidebook dealt largely in how witchcraft-related crimes were to be tried and punished. While much of the teachings in this book themselves would not be followed in the Salem Trials, it's important to note that the precedent set by such an official acknowledgement of the existence of witchcraft. No, I'm, I'm, go- I'm good. Another, I'm good. <laughs> another important factor. Witch, witchcraft is real yeah. to these people. It's that real. It's in l- legal handbooks. So another important factor in today's story is the American frontier wars, which were taking place in the background. Guys, now, guys, people never talk about the frontier wars. They are fucking gnarly. Okay. I, I feel like I have heard about them, but I can't remember See, details. See, it's even you, and you're typically pretty well educated on stuff like this. Mm-hmm. He just called you dumb. No, I don't think you did. I, I did the <laughs> exact opposite. <laughs> I did the exact opposite. Um, the Frontier Wars never get talked about. And they really fucking should. 
because this shit gets so fucking wild. And right now I'm going to throw out the trigger warning because these are the goriest and most gruesome wars that were ever fought on American soil. The Civil War ain't got shit. What were they fought over? They were between natives and early settlers. Okay. Yeah. I have heard of them. Right. Yeah. So yeah, they do get fucking wild. It's yeah, insane. Yes. So at this point in time, in this, Uh, the frontier wars are almost why the final like conflicts between that you have heard of the you know the Native American genocide. Yeah, those conflicts are directly responsible for how brutal the U.S. was being. Yeah, and how brutal the the Native Americans were being towards the U.S. Yes, it had just escalated. It's a. It's an we'll we'll do an episode on it one day. Yeah, we'll do a whole episode on this at that, some point. It's fucking wild. We'll do a brief history of one particular part of the frontier wars right yeah. now. So at this point in time. Just had to do that. We're one not time. even talking about the Spanish. <laughs> That's, why, That's why you didn't expect it, it Don. Aha! <laughs> so, all right. Thank you. <laughs> so, at this point in time, in this area of the colonies, native tribes are waging a brutal and gruesome war against European settlers. Though it isn't the main subject of today's episode, it is vital that we take a moment to examine the effects that the King Philip's War had on early settlers of the t- of the time. So, is the King Philip's War in the uh, uh, Frontier it's, Wars it's kind of a part of uh, the overarching uh, umbrella of what made up the Frontier Wars. There were a few. And also, this is the perfect point for me to say uh, King Philip, actually not a, a European king. That was the name that they had for um, the leader of the Native American tribes. I believe the, the Wampanoag. 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 Uh, King Philip was the leader of their tribe. Um, not actually, I got confused when I was reading about it at first because I'm thinking King Philip, that must be a European guy right. who is leading the war against the, the Wampanoag tribe. But no, um, actually, that is the leader of the Wampanoag tribe. So don't get it gotcha. mixed up. While not discussed as often as it should be, this series of conflicts is known for being unimaginably gory. Over the course of the wars, historians estimate that about half of the indigenous population of New England was wiped out by disease, famine, and battle. On the European side, colonists were killed by the hundreds and raids by the Wampanoag tribes in response to their people being killed. And killing the early colonists by the hundreds yeah. was a lot because Pretty much there an entire town. weren't that fucking many of them. Right. Yeah. You take out 200 of them and that is literally an entire town. I think Salem village only right. ever had like a maximum of 200 total residents, including children and everything. Right. So, so yeah. Uh, in response to their people being killed, captured and sold into slavery and having trade with them uh, made completely illegal. The psychological warfare was the name of the game for the native tribes. They would frequently mutilate the corpses of slain colonists and on some occasions wear the severed limbs of men they killed in their next battle. Y'all, they would be out there with hacksaws and shit after they won a battle. Just ripping just apart. Just desecrating corpses. Just desecrating corpses. Like you do. Hey, right. And also sometimes desecrating living human beings' bodies. <laughs> uh, yeah? Well, they were living for 
some of the time. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right until that shock hits hard enough. Mm-hmm. If, of course, that didn't, they didn't decide to hang those body parts in the trees as a warning. Now, in response, colonists began to burn natives alive inside their Like that their one bird in that one episode that we talked about that I looked up later but still yeah. can't remember. <laughs> it was the Slenderman episode, but it, I, I don't remember the name of the bird. It was a finch of some kind. Yeah. Um, in response, colonists began to burn natives alive inside their forts, including women, children, and the elderly. Now, this effectively created a psychological warfare arms race, which each with each side trying to scare the absolute shit uh, out of each other even more than the other side had previously. This amounted to one native form of torture known as the gauntlet, where settlers would be stripped naked and forced to run through a line of native men who would whip them before slicing slicing off strips of flesh. Um, I'm sorry, slicing strips of flesh off their legs and inserting fire into the wounds. Damn. Yeah. Yeah, bud. <laughs> they were not fucking around. These white people pulled up in gigantic boats, started getting off and saying, you guys didn't cult- cultivate your land, so you're not entitled to it and stealing it. And then they, they were like, fuck, that sucks. Whatever. I guess we'll be over here doing our thing, but we're going to come back and trade with you guys every now and then, right? And then they came back to trade and they were like, no, actually, we're going to capture you and sell you into slavery. And they were like, okay, we're going to cut pieces off your legs and put fire in there then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Y'all have heard about scalping. That does not have shit no, on none of the. Uh, scalping is the watered down uh, actually, high school appropriate uh, version. I started reading Bury My Heart, Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee, uh-huh. which is the story based not at this time, but the 1800s, how we fucked the Indians over. Yeah. And scalping wasn't something the Indian or the Native Americans did. Nope. White man ah. did it to the Native Americans. Uh, Native Americans began scalping white men in return for yeah, getting scalped. Retaliation. Oh, wild. That's, I actually yeah. didn't know that. Mm-hmm. That's interesting how history books flip yeah. that around. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Just like this Thanksgiving story here. Yeah. That's what I'm going to say. Like, <laughs> that's why scalping didn't have shit on any of the stuff that happened. Because the Native American, because white people were doing scalpings as a form of like bounty collection. Yeah. Yeah. Native Americans were torturing the people who burned their mother. Right. Like there's a difference, you know? It's uh, Marcus on last podcast says it too. He said in response to the, uh, the natives burning settler villages, they came back disproportionately cruel. Yeah. And as a result, it like I wrote in the script, it turned into a psychological warfare arms race where they both just wanted to be as cruel to each other as possible. Right. And they both just keep upping the ante. In retaliation to being carterized wounded, I guess, having you. Yeah. Um it, it, yeah, the gauntlet. In addition to the gauntlet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In retaliation to the gauntlet, colonists would respond with torture of natives that included breaking their fingers and toes before crushing their skulls. They would beat their heads in with clubs. Yeah. Yeah. So all of this culminated. Mob in, shit. Yeah. Yeah. In the end of end of the King Philip's War, when King Philip himself was captured, hung, drawn and quartered, and beheaded. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that and so mind you again King Philip being the leader of the native tribes. The settlers got him 
finally. And just just for the show of it, they yeah. were like, let's do everything. So his head would rest upon a pike in Plymouth Colony for 20 years. A constant reminder to colonists how brutal the world around them was. Th- they did it. Anyways. Right. Well, yeah, but, you know, not everyone who's alive there necessarily saw the battles, even though the battles continued on. But Plymouth Colony was kind of far from the worst of the fighting. It would be like if somebody came to a, any small town in America and hung a head on a fence and left it there for a long time and like. You've never seen anything like that, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, even if you were the reason that head is there. You know what I'm saying? That would yeah. be like if they had put Saddam Hussein's head on a pike at the White House. Right. Yeah, exactly. It would have been. It would have been a constant reminder to everyone that yeah, people who grew up there would grow up seeing that. Right. Yeah. Like, like just a skull on a pike by some point because it's there for 20 years that is a whole generation generation of children who will grow up like oh yeah that's the town square there's yeah right kids who are 10 and kids who grow up to be you know what i'm saying like see king philip's head uh and then a straight down that road right there that's where the general store is go grab me a a coke (laughs) take it right at the the skull yeah literally Literally. That's so it's yeah. That's how real the shit is to even people who didn't directly encounter it themselves. So all of this is to illustrate the state of mind the colonists were in and how dark the time period really was. Puritans took this to mean that Christianity you don't actually want to live in colonist times. No. No. Fucking hipsters. (laughs) Puritans took this to mean that Christianity when the colonies was in decline, and they were, of course, being punished by God. On top of this... You know what? I'd believe that for them. (laughs) (laughs) Now, on top of this, governmental changes threatened the sovereignty of their new Puritan country and caused several shifts in laws and societal rules. Societal rules. However... Though through all this, one law remained firm, and that was that any and all witches were to be put to death. Quoting Exodus 22, 18, thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. Because the Bible was the most important thing to the puritanical way of life. Right. Right. So what did witch mean in the Bible? Um, it, I actually looked it up. It is a, um, translation. I went to school for this shit and I still don't know. It's a translation from a Hebrew word meaning, fuck, I don't remember. I looked at it. Something like a, like a, like a charlatan or like a. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. Like a magician, but, but negative. uh, Effectively just a, a person who, uh, was in league with Satan. I gotcha. Yeah. Now, finally, before we get to Salem Village itself, we need to briefly touch on the accepted reality of witchcraft in New England in the 17th century, as well as who the Puritans were. It was accepted that witches existed and came about as a result of selling one's soul to the devil. It was said that this was done in exchange for power, material possessions, or in order to exact revenge upon one's enemies. Now, while it was not believed that humans themselves could perform magic, the result of a contract with the devil was that the devil would perform magic on your behalf in exchange for your soul. 
but then also the rules that they have listed for how being a witch works are like out the fucking window later because they just make up whatever, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, makes the most sense to accuse this particular person of being, she turned me into a newt. Right. It literally, that's not even that crazy of an exaggeration. I got better. better. They get into the, this whole thing about how there is like the invisible world. Yeah. So like only, I am an invisible girl. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Sorry. Yeah. It's the, it's exactly the same. Living (laughs) in the invisible world. And that woman's definitely a witch. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) She crypt keeper more nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there, there will be things later where they talk about how only people who are afflicted by a witch, only people who are bewitched, can see love that tv show <laughs> fuck that was it that was a tv show huh yeah it was it was uh, a good one too only the afflicted can see for the time the specters of uh, the the witches that are attacking them right so there's shit that goes on later where they're like in the meeting hall and the people who are the afflicted by the witches uh are saying oh no i see the specter right there and someone like throws a fucking knife at the air and they're like yeah you got her like (laughs) (laughs) fucking wild and so it's it's written that uh a witch couldn't actually perform magic but that the devil would do it for them but then there's also uh, they say that all the witch is doing this right now even though she's right here right because her specter her spirit has left her body and is performing the magic they're so fucking loose. <laughs> with, that's why I didn't go into much about like what the rules are for witches. There aren't any. Because their lore didn't matter once the hysteria started and they actually got to the trials. None of it mattered anymore. It was just whatever made the most sense in that moment while everybody was in a tizzy in the fucking tavern where a lot of the the preliminary examinations took place because they literally did this at a bar. <laughs> like imagine you're, you're by the fire pit at locals over there, <laughs> just having a pint of Guinness and all of a sudden fucking the mayor and everybody storm in and start having a witch examination <laughs> while you're trying to enjoy a, a whiskey after a hard day's work in the fields. Like, and imagine if you're the person who the trial is for, right? Like, fuck, I'm at the bar. I wish I could at least have a drink during all this. So an inspiring witch, so to speak, would be required to make a mark in blood inside the devil's book. Mm-hmm. Witches were said to have the ability to lay curses on people and animals that would lead to death or other physical harm. This belief was central to the Puritan's teachings and considered a capital offense. Which, of course, if you had a pet, you were a witch. But only if somebody didn't like you. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, And of course, the the Puritan beliefs run everything in Massachusetts Bay Colony at this time. Um, Although it's it goes back and forth a little bit because they end up uh, all interject with it again later. But like the the the, because they become a British Dominion again, where like Anglican churches have control again, and it gets really. I try not to go too far into it because like it gets boring, right? But yeah, there's a lot of power struggle 
with the Puritans who want their theocracy. Gotcha. So it's the Puri- my theocracy, and I want it now. <laughs> <laughs> so the Puritans left England, citing religious persecution, only to then establish their own colony based almost entirely on religious intolerance. In what they called their shining city on a hill, Massachusetts Bay Colony, one could not vote, own land, or even truly be considered a proper member of society unless they were of Puritan faith. The colony was a complete theocracy. Now, within this colony, Salem Town... We don't like your theocracy. We're going to make our own. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, basically. Within this colony, Salem Town and Salem Village were each established. And that finally brings us to where this all goes down. It's, of course, Salem Town was like five miles south of Salem Village. Or it could have been five miles. I think it was five miles south. Salem Village was north. But then they were both like 20 miles north of Boston at the time. Okay. And there was a big thing that goes on for a while that, uh, again, there's just like so much weird history in this that I didn't want to put into the script because just it gets boring reading it. But um, there was a long standing debate about whether or not Salem Village could have their own church at all um because they were technically they've got too many witches they were technically part of Salem town so they weren't even allowed to have their own church and there was big there was constant infighting in Salem village everyone in Salem village fucking hated each other everyone they were in so many petty disputes and one of the biggest disputes was whether or not they should have their own church because how how did america become the most litigious country on the planet <laughs> i just can't figure it out most of them would rather walk 5 miles south to salem town to go to church there than have their own that they pay taxes on in salem village but then they were also being taxed as part of salem town which they didn't like <laughs> fucking insane and also new puritan teachings which of course puritans didn't actually call themselves puritans at the time they called themselves um congregationalists uh or good christians Hmm. was what yeah yeah because that's not self-serving at all um no 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 not in the slightest not in (laughs) not in the least my friend that name itself isn't stroking its own dick right now (laughs) (laughs) Hey, so it's the fucking, it's the Satanic Panic series. We fucking, we talked about it for so long and we want to do something extra special for it. So from now, the time you're hearing this until the end of January-ish, I don't know, maybe we'll be loose about it. We don't know what the fuck we're doing. We're we're winging it out here like I'm winging this little advertisement for you. Zero plans. Zero plans. And uh, so right now, until the end of January-ish, any new patrons or upgraded patrons, patrons who are already at the max tier, don't worry, you're already included, you're getting this. Any new patrons or patrons who upgrade their pledge during this time frame are going to get a, for free, give us your address because we want your address. And we will send you a Satanic Panic t-shirt. It's the it's with the new logo with the pentagram on it, the one that you're seeing on the the feed right now for the series um get that logo on a t-shirt we want to get those out to you guys as soon as we can we're going to get them special made specifically for you guys so new patrons 
upgrading patrons and current $20 patrons, send us on Patreon your shirt size and where we can send the t-shirt, whether it's uh, your actual address, which we want, or a P.O. box so that we don't have to know where you actually live. Give us that information and we will get you your t-shirt. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Thank you for listening. Hey, everybody. It's Don. Uh, Just want to let you know we have a new affiliate with CW Spirits. It's an online uh, liquor store. And if you go and buy something from them, go and use our code TTO pod at checkout and you'll receive a 5% discount. Uh, we do ask that you drink responsibly. If you're trying to keep up with the two drink minimum episodes that we have and you're out of liquor, uh, definitely go to CW spirits. Again, use our code TTO pod in the checkout and you'll receive a 5% discount. Uh, thanks for listening and enjoy the rest of the show. So Salem village rested in the area of modern day Danvers, Massachusetts on October 8th, 1672 Salem village separated from Salem town and was authorized by a general court order to tax for public improvements, hire a minister, and build a meeting house. Salem Village remains remained more focused on agriculture, and Salem Town centered on a more mercantile identity. And that's my one of my favorite things too is people like for our legend legend tripping trip. We're totally going to do this anyway. We're going to go to Salem, Massachusetts, oh, yeah. and we're going to go see Gallows Hill and everything. Mm-hmm. That's not where this shit fucking happened. <laughs> it happened like out in the woods of New England now. Yeah. It's not, there's no, they would not have taken these people up a hill to hang them just to have to carry their bodies back down later. Right. It's, they didn't hang people on it's top of It's almost like how people didn't get carried to specific locations to get lynched. You got carried to the nearest tall thing that could yes. be tied a rope. Yeah. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like it's, if if a mob wants to kill you in a certain way, they're only going to do as much work as it takes to do that thing at the nearest possible location. Right. Um, and they're not going to want to... The first time they do it on a hill, they're going to come back down and be like, fuck that. We're doing it at the graveyard now. Or we're going to bury him in the fucking woods. Right. Since getting its own church, Salem Village had a sordid history with ministers. From 1673 to 1679, James Bailey served as a minister of the Salem Village Church. But a controversy controversy existed on whether or not to ordain Bailey. He was not being paid, and some slanderous comments made their way into lawsuits. Now, because Salem Village was not yet fully a town or church, Salem held a say on the future of the minister. Sorry, Salem Town held a say on the future of Salem Village's minister. minister. In 1679, Salem Village would have its very first witch when Bridget Bishop of Salem Village was accused of witchcraft. However, Reverend John Hale testified for her and the charges were dropped. From 1680 to 1683... Say that one again. In 1679, Salem Village would have its very first witch when Bridget Bishop of Salem Village was accused of witchcraft. Mm-hmm. However... Reverend John Hale testified for her, and the charges were dropped. So, yeah, the the very first So if you have reputable um, friends. But, again, even that is going to be out the window later when we start accusing high-ranking When everyone's a communist. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I'm sorry, sorry, which? It it gets a little hairy, like, 
distinguishing between Salem Town and Salem Village. Right. But once we really get into everything, it it's all it all just takes place in Salem Village for the most part. So uh, <laughs> from 1680 until 1683, Reverend George Burroughs, a Harvard graduate, served as minister of the Salem Village Church. His wife died in 1681 and he remarried. As with his predecessor, the church would not ordain him and he left in a bitter salary fight. At one point, being arrested for debt. Wow, 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 wow. Uh-huh. You can do that online for zero money right <laughs> <laughs> In like 25 minutes. It doesn't take t- at all. Right, but for the Puritan church, it was everything. Part of the reason they called themselves Congregationalists was to was that to become a uh, an ordained minister, you had to have a congregation. Right. Ready to sign off for you. I want to become an ordained minister and then invent time travel so that my half-black ass can go back into the past and just <laughs> fuck everybody's day up. Um, this part is also extra relevant. That'll to... be how I kill myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is extra relevant because uh, the average serving time for an ordained minister in this time period it was 22 years. Okay. They go through like four or five in 16 years. <laughs> the, their town is so petty and so full of all these little squabbles that they can't like even agree to pay an ordained minister or like get an official ordained minister at all. And then they don't pay the ministers that they have who just rack up debt. God, that doesn't sound like the modern day church at all. Uh, uh, right. And it life sucks and everybody's mad all the time for them. Okay. <laughs> Just all the time. So it's a lot like today. I was going to say something slightly cleverer than that. But yeah, that was essentially what I was getting at. You know? <laughs> uh, except much, 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 Way much, worse. much, 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 Way worse. much, worse. Way worse. They didn't have air conditioning or cars or like the ability to leave town. <laughs> right. Or move. They walked five miles to go to, to church. church in New England winter. Hmm. Sorry. Every time you say they would walk five miles, I want to start singing. I would do walk. Yeah. Just so I don't have to pay taxes on a church. Just so I don't have to pay taxes on a church. (laughs) Fuck your mom. She's a witch. So on October October 23rd, 1684, when Massachusetts Bay Colony Charter was annulled and self-government. I'm sorry. Let me start over. On October 23rd, 1684, the Massachusetts Bay Colony Charter was annulled and self-government ended. One Sir Edmund Andros is appointed the governor of the newly defined Dominion of New England. Oh, yeah? yeah? He is pro- The the, the Dominion? Yes. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, boy. They they make really- (laughs) As you all know, in every video game and fantasy story ever, the Dominion has always been the good guy. So continue, please. (laughs) Um, He was pro-Angelican. And unpopular in Massachusetts. Right. This led to even further frustration of the Puritans. Also in in 1684. Not the Puritans that Josh, my friend, has described. Yes. So, yeah, no, again, now they're even more pissed off Mm. all the time. In 1684, Reverend Diodat Lawson 
became the minister in Salem Village. In 1687, Salem Village had its second brush with witchcraft when Bridget Bishop was accused for the <laughs> second time of witchcraft and once again acquitted. Like, no, 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 I'm telling it. you, that bitch is a witch. <laughs> That's okay, okay, okay. Maybe this time. Yeah. Yeah. This time. yeah. <laughs> no, no such thing as... Uh, Double what Jeopardy. Is it? Double Jeopardy, yeah. yeah. No such thing. So in June of 1688, <laughs> Reverend Samuel Paris arrived in Salem. Double Whammy? Is that what we're thinking? Double Jeopardy. No, Double Jeopardy. I don't understand. You can't be tried can't for the be, yeah. same crime twice. twice. Oh. If you're acquitted once, then you're done. I. Except you know, that even still today doesn't always work out. They like, just find a different way to. Uh, I was going to say, like, uh, Amanda Knox was tr- twice tried and twice acquitted. Right. Uh, did she, it depends. Did she? Oh, no, never mind. It would be if somebody appealed. So, like, if the state or whatever appealed to a higher court, she would have been tried, or the county or whatever. She would have been, you can get tried up to the Supreme Court. Or if significant new evidence comes out, they can retry you, which I think is what happened, like in the Amanda Knox case, Mm. which is a really interesting story that everybody should uh, watch the documentary on. I know. It's it's such a wild story because the fucking, the Italian detective behind all of it was just a fucking menace. It was fucking awful, awful human being. I hope he's dead now. So The views expressed. <laughs> <laughs> so in June of 1688, Reverend Samuel Paris arrived in Salem Village as a candidate for the first fully ordained minister. And that's the first name of this story that just, we actually need to remember. Is okay. S- Samuel, Samuel Paris. Paris. This is Sammy our f- Perry? Sammy Perry. So, this is the first real major player. In so the, in the witch trials that we're hearing about, so Paris was formerly. F- are, you, are you saying that? Are you saying that the big dog came to town? Yes, he is going to be the big dog throughout the story. Yeah, he is. Paris was formally called as minister in April of the next year, and finally, Paris like f- fucking Paris, France, with two S's, but yeah, yeah. or two, two R's. R's I'm sorry. Yeah. So. He was formally called as minister in April of the next year and finally fully ordained with a congregation of 27 full members signing the church covenant in November. And that, dear listeners, finally leaves us with the stage fully set. Yes, we have we have our Samuel Paris is going to be kind of a main character throughout all of this because he is effectively the most important figure in the town. He is the the minister. Uh, it's there's not really anyone above him in a theocracy. He is the religious leader, and also everyone hates him <laughs> because nobody likes anything at this. He's time. the motherfucker from Castlevania that gets the the priest guy from the yeah. first season. That's uh-huh. this guy. Yeah, basically, um, but- like literally character trope is is part like he is part of this character trope. Uh-huh. For a reason. Like, some of the shit in the trope you're thinking of was because of this guy. You understand? that? Like, the shit that happened in the Salem Witch Trials is largely what contributes to things like Castlevania and other witch-adjacent media, I guess. Right. And uh, Samuel Paris is just such a bitch. Like, he's so whiny. He's constantly, like, demanding that everyone donate firewood so that he can write his sermons at night. 
you're trash, kid. You're trash, kid, is what the whole town says to him all the time. Yeah, people do not like Samuel Paris. And if it weren't for the fact that he is very good, uh, this is town politics now, he's very good fan uh, friends with a uh, other very powerful family, very wealthy family in the town named the Putnams. And the Putnams are going to be major players. Like Putnam well. County? Where is that? Uh, in Florida. Various. Florida, Florida uh, is the one I, I know There's of. probably quite a few. Uh, very well might be, um, because, I mean, they were all up and down the East Coast at this point. But if it weren't for the fact that Samuel Paris is so close with the Putnam family, then he really not be. would not have lasted for as long as he finally did end up lasting throughout the trials. This was during a time, let me be fucking, let me get down to it as well. This was at a time where unlike me and you and you and you and you and everyone else, they couldn't just not go to church. No. Right. You, you like, you can't. It was mandatory. It Literally mandatory. It wasn't like church got too politicky for me i realized my beliefs were just fundamentally different than what they were teaching me and i just stopped showing up and like nothing happened right it was like hey you weren't at church last tuesday why the fuck not yeah and also the basis of their religion was uh based the basis of puritanism was uh based on calvinism so also, what does brandon think about all this but yes <laughs> i mean i'll remember calvinism i'm sorry yeah no you're good you're good i want to hear brandon say words in front of a microphone too because he said none <laughs> i mean if, if i recall correctly the salem witch trials actually just started kind of because of rumor mm -hmm. um more or was, less yeah it was originally if i believe it was just two girls who were pissed at some other woman, and so they were like, hey, she's a witch. Uh, and it kind yeah. of got the ball rolling on all this and uh, somewhat normalized it in the town. Yeah, well, it becomes very normal to everyone in town that there are witches in town. Uh, we got to figure out who they are and bring them to trial and execute them. Yeah, but the issue was anybody could be a witch. Even, anybody could be a and witch. Even if it got yeah. disproven with, you know... Um, Dear God, I can't remember her name. It was Bri Bridget something. Yeah, yeah, Bridget Bishop was Bishop. tried Bridget twice. Bishop. Yeah, even if you got disavowed the first time, you was, could just be tried again. Yeah, there's no guarantee that somebody else wouldn't say that you're a witch. So now, as long as somebody is back. pissed at you in Salem, you're in danger. And everybody's always mad at each other for something because in you're in Salem. Yep. <laughs> so literally, oh, this Calvinism. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Calvinism, for people who don't know, is the belief that uh, it's predestiny whether or not you, you get into heaven right. or not. And it's if God doesn't come to you at some point during your life and say uh, you're one of the ones that's going to heaven, then uh, you're going to hell no matter how good you are. You cannot change your lot in life, according to Calvinism. Yeah, Calvinism is the real actual belief that, that some evangelicals think that atheism is where they say well without god you know you can't be moral 
Right. Calvinism is the belief that it really doesn't matter what your fucking morality is. If God appeared to you and told you you're going to heaven, you're going to fucking heaven regardless. So, like, you know, just, I don't know. Like, people just believe the craziest fucking shit. Yeah. Just because there's no way to know. And people just, their brains make shit up that they want to believe. And often, it's just a means to control a certain community. In this case, it was every community, all of the time, everywhere. Mm -hmm. So in January of 1692, Paris's daughter Elizabeth, or Betty, age nine, and niece Abigail Williams, age 11, started having fits. So these are the two girls that Brandon just mentioned. They screamed through things, uttered peculiar sounds, and contorted themselves into strange positions. A local doctor blamed the supernatural. (laughs) Uh, Because of course he did. Yeah, Yeah. of course. Yeah, that's how it happens. Another girl, 12-year-old Ann Putnam Jr., experienced similar episodes. A doctor was called to the household and unable to find any physical ailment causing the so-called fits. He said, "These they can't be lying. Yeah. So it must be the devil. Right. So there is actually not really an official, like, uh, outstanding theory about what caused the first fits in Salem. There's there's none. So this was very similar to um a case that happened I believe in um I want to say Boston, but it was another it was another witch case where um a daughter of a high standing family began having really similar fits and there is uh, one theory that I like, it's not the most popular theory or anything. Um, I want to say it's uh, conversion syndrome or something like that. And it was common in children who were from very, very pious households. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a really long-winded explanation that basically amounts to um, they are acting this way as a result of how insanely religious their uh, family is, their household is, and they're acting it out kind of like just how kids role play. Basically Uh, they're, they're possessed or, you know, it also could be caused by seizures or whatever. I was going to say that my gut reaction with no fucking evidence whatsoever Uh is that, my the two things that popped into my head immediately were they were th- I, how old were these girls uh between 9 and 12 yeah mm. one one was 9 one was 11, 11 and, and then yeah, i think the, the Ann putnam Ann jr putnam was, 12. was 12 yeah so it could be that they're doing a slender man stabbing uh yeah that's actually a good comparison yeah. where they're pretending or or like not necessarily pretending but like they've gotten sort of some idea in their head mm-hmm. that this is what is wanted of them. Or they're like lying to get somebody they know in trouble. Or one or two of them started having seizures for some reason, perhaps because of some sickness that was going around. Who knows? But then people heard about it. And because they're kids, they thought, well, we don't know what happened because it's Salem witch trial times. Mm-hmm. And our doctors think that uh, devils cause things. Right. 
And so it has to be the devil. And who did it? Well, it must be that bitch I'm fighting with right now. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> it must be the person who in fucking insists that their property line is three inches on mine. When or even it's like schoolyard not. bullshit between yeah. the girls or like your daddy doesn't like my daddy. So fuck you or whatever. It's literally debates in this town that would cause a witch accusation came down to shit so petty as the seating arrangement at town hall meetings. Because they had assigned seating. Right. And it was, somebody had a closer seat to the minister than me. And, yeah. Wow. So, um, unable to, so the doctor was called to the household and unable to find any physical ailment causing the so-called fits, the doctor was left with no choice but to declare the girls bewitched, meaning that their ailment was the result of a witch cursing them. There's also theory that they basically started acting out like this because children in colonial times were basically just reproducible workforce. Uh, they weren't, you know, objects of affection for right. the family. They were a new generation of workers. Why I had him? Yeah, they exactly. were. They, they were mouths to feed. They were an investment <laughs> of time up front for for a return of labor later. Yeah. Right. And so one theory is that the girls started acting out like this is simply because they were so fucking sick of working the fields and shit. I don't blame them. I pitch a fit whenever I have to go to work some days. Valid. Fucking valid. <laughs> so the three girls and several more experiencing similar fits would collectively become known as the afflicted. That's metal. Yeah. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> A neighbor to the Paris household suggested a folk magic solution to finding the witch known as a witch's cake. And according to the notes, I'm supposed to look at Josh for the explanation because it's gross. Oh, a witch's cake. And I actually had the timeline a little weird on this. Anne Putnam uh, didn't start having her fits until after all of this with the witch's cake started happening. I, I fucked that up and I forgot to correct it because it was 6 a.m. when I went to bed after I wrote this. Um <laughs> I'm correcting it now. Um, the witch's cake is made by mixing uh, a part of the afflicted person with meal into a cake and having a dog eat it. Okay. They chose urine. Okay. Because you know that's that's the easiest part of a uh, you know a, an afflicted person to mix into meal, and then the dog is supposed to point out the the witch after eating the witch cake okay wow but of course that's like i said folk magic yeah which is the exact kind of ideology that the puritans wanted to oppress <laughs> and this happened without samuel paris's knowledge it's weird the timing of this because we did just finish christmas anyway Witch cakes are gross. Yep. <laughs> um, Christmas is a pagan holiday, and uh, fuck the Puritans. Oh, fuck the Puritans. So a neighbor to the Paris household, uh, I read, sorry. Uh, when the dog ate the cake, Betty and Abigail cried out in pain and said that the source of their torment was not only inside the house, but the very same person who baked the witch's cake, a Caribbean slave owned by Samuel Paris by the name of Tichiba. The witch is coming from inside the house. And we all go full circle. And just in case you guys forgot that this was slave time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
There's, now, uh, j- just assume if 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 we hear about anyone in the town who's wealthy, they're a slave owner. Oh yeah. Including, uh, I haven't harped on this much because I'm trying to be reserved about it, but uh, we're gonna meet a couple of my uh, very old ancestors <laughs> who lived in Salem Village throughout this. I should like to say that this is a terrible thing these children have done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also, this is what slavery does to people. It taught these children that another human being was a disposable resource. Right. That's fucked up. So, yeah, well, she's I wonder the what we could compare that to today. She's the easiest scapegoat uh, for them, effectively, because they're in deep now. Right. I don't. Yeah, it's not even just like a scapegoat. It's like, oh man, that is something we can blame this on that people will unequivocally believe us. Right. Well, especially because in the Caribbean they did have like voodoo, right? Type stuff, and so one belief is that the girls uh, had heard stories from Tichuba about uh, voodoo in the Caribbean, and that's why they blamed her so now it's most likely that and then they did a voodoo <laughs> to try to catch her yep so now it's most likely that the girls pointed the finger at tichuba because since she was effectively the most likely suspect and low-risk person to accuse and accuse in the scenario additionally josh myself yep <laughs> additionally tichuba baked the cake herself which basically made her the closest thing to a practicing witch that the young girls had ever seen right because she was doing she was doing voodoo shit. Right. Which, again, was suggested by the neighbor to Tichuba without Samuel Paris's knowledge. knowledge. Yeah. And he was fucking livid when he found out that they were doing witchcraft to combat witchcraft. Well, you got to fight fire with fire. Uh, I guess. Accusations <laughs> <laughs> with witch cake. Indeed. So by Puritan legal code, the word of two young girls could not be used to bring Tichuba to trial. But as word spread through the town on the Paris children's affliction, so too did the fits that they experienced. And the f- and as the phenomena spread to women who were th- of age, Tichuba was again named as the witch causing the harm, providing enough as an evidence to bring Tichuba to trial. And so this is where I want to correct my timeline a little bit. It's after... All of that happens. Word gets out. Samuel Paris's slave is a witch afflicting these two young girls. Whole town hears about it in the span of a f- fucking not long. 10 minutes, you yeah. know, and um, now the whole town knows that witches are afoot. Right. So that's when all of a sudden other people start having suspiciously similar fits to the ones that the two girls in the Paris household were having. And now they are also afflicted. And, and people are hungry for death. Right. So as the phenomena spread to women who were of age, Tichiba was again named as the witch causing harm, providing enough evidence to bring Tichiba to trial. Tichiba's trial would be evidence. In- Fuck off. Right. Yeah, by their standards, yes, evidence. It would begin March of nineteen sixty or sixteen ninety two after a preliminary examination. Now during this preliminary two hundred years after Columbus sailed the ocean blue. <laughs> during this preliminary exam, Tichiba maintained her innocence, 
through all of the initial questions. However, after no way, I can't <laughs> believe it. Are you surprised that uh, coercion is happening? However, after extensive coercion, she finally confessed to having been approached by a tall, dark spirit in black clothing who would also sometimes appear as a hog or a black dog. Now, this spirit urged her to harm the girls, but she insisted that she declined. Her confession appeared to cast a spell on the afflicted girls who were in attendance. They began, in unison, repeating the words that Tichiba said. Yeah, so it would be like Tichiba would say, uh, he would sometimes appear to me as a black dog, and the girls both, in unison, would be like, he would sometimes appear as a black dog. The confession, this confession, as well as multiple witnesses, was all of the evidence necessary for her conviction by Massachusetts legal standards. The confession, however, is not <clears throat> where the trial stopped. Quote, unquote, standards. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, I mean, they are standards. They are just dirt low standards. So Tichiba continued to name two other women whose names she had seen inside of the devil's book. Sarah Good, a local homeless woman, and Sarah Osborne, who was involved in conflicts regarding property. See, this is where... So... Chain of events is uh-huh. some little girls throw some tantrums. Uh huh. Their they their parents take them to the doctor. Which, in defense, it is more than tantrums. It is. I I I am minimalizing what these white girls did to this woman. <laughs> Fair. And they they can't find out what's wrong at the doctor. So the doctor's like, something supernatural is going on. That's not my fucking area. At that point, they have their their neighbor. Suggests doing a voodoo. Right. Uh-huh. Samuel Paris gets real mad about that. They make their slave because they don't ask. You don't ask a slave. They made their slave do the voodoo. Well, but Samuel Paris didn't make her. The neighbor suggested it. And Tichuba did it because she actually thought, oh, yeah, I want to help these girls. Sure. Yeah. Either way, Tichuba does this thing that she thinks is going to help. Sorry. And the girls immediately blame Tichuba. And then instead, instead of just letting the trial happen, these two little fucking monsters decide to, first of all, sorry, first of all, Tichiba gets tortured. Yeah, she doesn't actually get tortured, but it's, they bring in um, someone else who is experienced in getting confessions from witches, and it's the same way that coercion happens in interrogation rooms now, where it's coached like that. But Yeah, yeah. I was just gonna mention, she gets basically uh, mentally tortured and fucking coerced. Right, well, in front of the whole town at the tavern. And coached to basically not only confess quote unquote but also to point out two other people who clearly whoever was coer- coercing her confession yeah. didn't like yeah and because she was a slave no one said anything when these little girls clearly started doing uh bullshit yep Well, and also, like, that was a big part of why I wanted to go through the history is nobody in the town is going to recognize this as them doing a bullshit because witches are real. They exist. They're around all the time. This is that. It's just it's finally happening in our town again. Yeah. And 
everyone in the town is so a high stress. Like, God, we all have our own stresses that we deal with that are awful, but they are nothing compared to the daily stress of a Puritan colonist. Right. I'm going to be real with you. I don't care. No, me neither. <laughs> like, Fuck them. Fuck like, them. They're the worst. There is no level of stress, in my opinion, in my humble opinion. And I say that with uh, hopefully our listeners uh, have heard at least some of our stories <laughs> and mine specifically. And uh, there is no level of stress that should, could, or would make a person like a child want to murder secondhand yeah a person who was trying to help them that's not stress that's evil yeah uh the neighbor's name i believe was uh mary sybil and uh she was not allowed to uh take sacrament at church for a while until she finally confessed that she had done it with uh good intentions and then she was finally allowed to be a human again she done what with good intentions uh made the suggestion made the suggestion of the witch cake oh so tichiba sarah osborne and sarah good would all be taken for questioning at nathaniel ingersoll's tavern and examined by local magistrates john haythorne and jonathan corwin ezekiel cheever is appointed to take (laughs) is appointed to take notes on the proceedings fucking sucks Hannah Eisen, Ingersoll. What's your name? <laughs> Hannah Ingersoll, wife of tavern owner of the tavern owner, found that the three had no witch marks on them. Right. So the witch mark was a thing um, where supposedly the the devil would suckle upon you. Uh, mm. as so like, a hickey, like yeah. a third nipple. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so they would search your body for your third nipple. And uh, that that I laugh, but like, damn. Yeah, I know. (laughs) And that would be the the witch's mark that showed that the devil had suckled upon your mystical third teat to give you powers. Holy shit. So William Good, Sarah's husband, even told her about a mole on his wife's back. (laughs) Yeah. Ruben has made the exact face that I hoped that that would elicit from him. Must have hated that woman. Yeah, Holy shit. Can, can you imagine? Like, hey, hey, hey. Uh, I know you're gonna examine her. Just so, just so you know, look on her back. Wow. So, <laughs> Tichuba confessed again, naming the other two as witches and adding rich details to her stories of possession, spectral travel, and meeting with the devil. Sarah Osborne continued to protest her. The changing own confession has historically never meant that it's false. Right. Never one time. No. So uh, it's also also worth mentioning that uh, Mr. Good would later, like during her trial, make a fucking pun. There was something to the effect of now I would say that my wife is a menace to all that is good. Because <laughs> good is their last fucking right. name. That's a Puritan joke for you. Yeah. So Sarah Osborne continued to protest her own no, innocence, Dick. while Sarah Good said that Tichiba and Osborne are both definitely witches, but that she herself is innocent. Some might say it's a good joke. <laughs> Sarah <laughs> Good. I don't know if it's a good joke, but I know it's a good pun. 
<laughs> so Sarah Good was sent to Ipswich to be confined with a local constable who was also her relative. She escaped briefly, but returned voluntarily. This absence was especially suspicious when Elizabeth Hubbard reported that Sarah Good's specter had visited her and tormented her that evening. Within the span of a week, many more accusations would fall into place. Oh, it's also, uh, so she escaped, right? And then more affliction started happening while she was escaped, which is a big thing. Right. But this whole thing is going to go out the fucking window again later because none of their bullshit makes sense. It's like fucking flat earth. It just doesn't make any sense at all. And the goalposts constantly move. I can't believe it. Yeah. Shocker. (laughs) Right. Um, Supposedly, witches couldn't do anything if they were uh, clasped in iron. Iron was supposed to prevent them from being able to do witchcraft. Right. That's the fae, not witches. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Being in the iron bars at jail would prevent them from being able to do witchcraft. Being in iron cuffs during trial, which they all were, would also prevent them from being able to do witchcraft. Get clapped. In yeah. irons. <laughs> so within the span of a week, many more accusations would fall into place. Anne Putnam Jr. would mention Elizabeth Proctor's name, blaming her for her affliction. That's my ancestor. Elizabeth the Proctor's. Proctors. Yep. Okay. Mary Warren, a servant of the Proctor household. Well, she was a witch. So. Would begin having fits and name Giles Corey, a Ooh. prosperous farmer <laughs> with a reputation for being an asshole, claiming to have seen his specter causing her afflictions. But this claim would be brushed off. Giles's wife, Martha, was also accused by Anne. This wild flurry of accusations would set the wheels in motion for America's most famous witch hunt, and they would not stop turning until hundreds of accusations were levied and 20 people were dead. And it is with the trials of those people. You that- know what? That's not a terrible ratio for what people expect. Right. Yeah. When you hear the word Salem witch trial. Well, so I use the word accusations there. Um, Not all accusations were taken seriously. Not all accusations were taken to preliminary examinations. And even fewer were taken to official witch trials. Sure. Because the preliminary examinations would mostly take place at the Ingersoll Tavern. And then the uh, actual trial would take place at the town meeting house. So those are the two kind of main sets for what's going to happen. It's the tavern and then it's the meeting house. I am so excited to talk about Giles Corey this episode. Uh, So go ahead. I mean, continue reading. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so excited. I like, oh my God, I'm shaking. I just, and it is with the trials of those people that we will continue our story next week as we bring you the Salem witch trials part two. (laughs) (laughs) i had to leave y'all a lot of cliffhanger because i couldn't write anymore cliffhanger hanging from a cliff and that's why he's called cliffhanger (laughs) do any of you know what the fuck i'm talking about i know yeah i I do i feel like i remember between the lions oh yeah fucking a i think i got the I think I got it in a book in like a Zaxby's kids meal, I think. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, that sounds right. Yep. Yep. I used to fucking love that show. Not a clue. So that wraps it up, everybody. Uh, part one of the Salem Witch Trials. Part two of the Satanic Panic. Part two of the Witch Trials will probably be longer significantly because we're going to go through all the major trials and all the most 
interesting. We're going to gloss over a few of them because it's just as simple as, yep, they showed up. Uh, they confessed because they didn't want to die. They were put in jail. That's it. But the more interesting ones, like I know Brandon's so fucking excited about Giles Corey, um, <laughs> as well as um, a few of the other ones. The the more the more someone protested, the more interesting their trial became. Oh, I'm sure. So that's that's what we're we're really gonna spend the time focusing on, and particularly like they just really fucking hated Giles Corey. <laughs> really, like did. yeah. The- <laughs> definitely he wasn't even the original accused it was his wife yeah yeah exactly and that's just how this shit went for them but we'll probably spend the most time on him next week so see you'll have to come back next week joy fuck you (laughs) (laughs) shit you wretched skank all right damn (laughs) (laughs) so on that note everybody thank you for joining us i have been don i've been you know here no brandon's just been yeah that's fair (laughs) you've been reuben i've been josh that's fair i have been reuben this time fuck cancer be good to yourselves you're more resilient than you think you are uh oh yeah you're on the spot now motherfucker come up with a sign off of course i shit my pants i had to wipe Bye. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>